Okay, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 13 as we finish this sermon that we started last week, Be You Separate. Now as you're turning in your Bibles, I'd like for you to remember that we're talking about Samson, the judge that was raised up by God. Uh, The times for the man we talked about last week, the times were that the country was uh, in apathy. Uh, It was apathetic towards God and His Word which led to compromise in their lives, which led to an assimilation into the world. They were to be separate from the world, but they weren't. They had assimilated into the world. They had become a part of it. And then we talked about the man for the time. And Samson had a unique birth. In other words, his mother was barren. The angel of the Lord visited her, told her that she would have child, uh, much like Sarah and Elizabeth. And so uh, the situation was. And so Samson had also a unique lifestyle. Not only a unique birth, but a unique lifestyle. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, it describes the lifestyle that he was to live. He was to be a Nazarite. And being a Nazarite was a voluntary thing. It was spontaneous. It was a feeling of a person uh, to uh, you know, carry out this vow. And it was to be temporary. But that was different than with uh, Samson. Samson was called to it. God deliberately called him to that from birth to death. It was not temporary. And so there was a difference there. And it was purposeful. What was uh, the vow to represent? It was to be a life that was separated. And this was so very important unto the Lord. He uh, understood the vows and the separation and what uh, what was involved there, the don'ts. But uh, he failed in the sense of not fully comprehending the separation to the Lord. And it was also symbolic. He was to abstain uh, the things that he was to, uh, to do, abstain from the fruit of the vine, which was symbolic of a simple life, not a, a royal type of life, not a life above everyone else, but a simple type of life. And he was to um, not cut his hair. That was a sign, outward sign of his vow. To, they were to, that represented uh, the outward uh, symbolism that he had been called to this Nazarite vow. But then there was also a, an avoid to touch dead bodies. And that was uh, to show his constant sincerity and fellowship that he should have with God. And this is where he failed. And uh, then we come to the third part of the message not only the times for the man and the man for the times but we come to the man and his ministry and i want us just to look at a few verses as we uh, skim through the uh, chapter 13 last week i want us to go back and read verses one through five it says now the sons of israel began uh, again did evil in the sight of the lord again again you hear that over and over again So that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Very significant, for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had bore no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have bore no children. He was letting her know before he performed the miracle, before the miracle occurred letting her know that he knew. But you shall conceive and give birth to a son, 
Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink and eat anything unclean. In other words, or any unclean thing. In other words, uh, not only did the vow include the son, but also the mother. He says, For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver. And look at that word, and we're going to talk about it in a few moments further. He will what? Begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then she, we know that she went and told her husband, then her husband entreated the Lord that he might uh, also see, uh, speak with this uh, messenger, and so he was able to. And, and now we come to verses 24 and 25. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in Mahanael, Dan between Zorah and Estra. Stir in Mahanadan between Zorah and Estra. Estel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for how you've just blessed us with this time of uh, togetherness, being able to come together as a a group of people and, and many as a, that are within your family to, to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. And I thank you that um, as we've had this opportunity, that, that Lord, that we have carried through with it. I pray that our hearts have been prepared and for this ahead of time and that as they were prepared, allowed you to work in and through us. And Lord, that you blessed us in a very special way by the Spirit of God, your Spirit speaking to us and dealing with us and bringing us closer to you by way of your Word and by way of your Spirit working. And I just pray that this will happen also this evening. And I just pray that, that um, Lord, that we will see a great moving of your Spirit, that we will see a, uh, a work of your grace and its sufficiency that uh, will touch our lives in such a way that Lord, it will affect us to be better servants for you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this part, the man and his ministry, we're going to focus primarily on verses 5, verse 24, and verse 25. Now, you know, we've seen his unique birth, his unique lifestyle. Now we're going to see his unique role in verse 5. If you'll go back to it, it says, for behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The key word in the verse is begin. Samson's life work was not going to be completed. They would not be delivered for 40 years. And so in turn, they were under the uh, constant bombardment of the Philistines for this time. Uh, the, you know, you, you remember the uh, omission in the case study, no mention 
back in, in verse 1 is mention of repentance. So Israel had not repented, so the Lord was not ready to break the yoke of uh, the Philistines yet. And this is, a, you know, this is sad to hear, but it's encouraging in some ways because we see that God did not abandon them during that time. And this shows once again his grace. In grace, he raised up Samson to begin the process of liberation. And we know that the liberation didn't come until whom or who? David. And so that was the, the time of the liberation. So the other judges had known mentioned here in, in Judges have, have known victory, but Samson would not know complete victory. He would prevent complete defeat, but only partial victory would accompany him. So Samson had a unique role, and that role was for him to come along. As an individual, this is very important, not as a as someone who would gain an army to defeat the enemy. As an individual, he would come along. And he would bring temporary victory for the Israelites. But not complete. Not complete. And so Samson also, to do this, and to be the individual to stand up, he had to have unique endow endowment in other words he it was coupled with a unique ministry uh, and and this unique endowment uh, brought about this unique ministry by way of the endowment of the Holy Spirit in his life in verse 25 it, it indicates the spirit of the Lord began to stir him as a young man we know that uh, we we know the story of Samson's legendary uh, physical strength and and we know uh, that uh, you know this was a distinctive effect uh, from God it had to be a special uh, endowment from God and it was a spirit working in a special way this was related to God's unique purpose for Samson's life and the other judges were great military leaders but as I mentioned earlier, Samson was called by God to fight alone. He was unaided by human companions. It was God the Spirit who gave him his great strength in this victory, in this fight, in these personal battles. But not only did he have a unique and special endowment, but we see that um, or enablement, we see that he had a unique purpose. All this happened in Samson's life for a reason. It happens in our life for a reason. Things are brought about in our life for a reason. They're, just, they're not coincidences and they're not accidents. Sometimes we look at it that way and we may say that and we may say, well, you know, this is by luck or this is by chance or whatever, but it's God working in a special way. God sovereignly called Samson's for a specific reason. And it was for him to confront the enemy. And for him to do this, 
he needed to live a separated life. And we know the story, we'll get into it later on, how he failed. More about his failure than, than his uh, success. But uh, we see that because of this, though, that God was teaching us lessons. And even through his failures, uh, he, God is teaching us lessons. Israel had fallen into that apathetic stage towards serving God. And, uh, and they were not being faithful to him the way that they should. And they had compromised uh, their life to God. By doing so, they were in the world and they had become a part of the world. They had assimilated into it. It's so hard, as we talked about last week, not to do. We don't want to be separated to the point where we're in isolation, do we? We become that monk who goes off and, and uh, lives in a tree somewhere away from people far, far away. We don't want that kind of life. God has not called us to that. Matter of fact, the high priestly prayer says that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's a hard separation. And so the other group, as we talked about last week, they say, hey, man, I'm totally against that type of lifestyle. So I will assimilate into the world. And I will become friends with the world to win the world for Christ. And what happens usually with that kind of mentality is they assimilate into the world and the world becomes a lifestyle for them and they're living and they lose the effect that they should have in the world. And so we see that uh, they were, uh, you know, that Samson was to be in the world but not a part of the world. They needed to recognize that what God desired for them was that they <clears throat> would be a part of God's kingdom there. And, and Samson was uh, to, to illustrate this in his lifestyle. And Israel had forgotten it. And Samson was to remind them by his lifestyle that they were to be in the world, but they were to be not of the world. And they were to let the world know that there is a difference as far as God's kingdom is concerned, a better difference. And we'll talk about why it was not a better difference because Samson failed so often. And that was separation number one is to be a positive dedication to the Lord. And I think this is where Samson slipped. This is where Samson failed more times than not. And that is he knew what not to do but he didn't know how to make that a successful lifestyle by uh, living a godly life before the world. He tried to do the don'ts and not have that separation from the world by being, uh, letting it being a positive dedication to God. Samson was called to a life of separation, a lifelong Nazarite under the vow of God. And this was not a life that just consisted of don'ts. Here, as I said earlier, was the, the uh, strat uh, strategy that, uh, of Samson. And that was, it was here where Samson's separation turned purely negative. He vowed not to take wine, not to cut his hair, and not to go near the dead. 
the don'ts or the do nots were clear, but why uh, not to do these things? He did not put those two together on a consistent basis. The purpose of the Nazarite vow was not separation from, and that's it. The purpose of the Nazarite vow was separation unto, and that is unto the Lord. The secret to success was not in any code. Don't do this, don't do that. These three things you don't do. It was a loving relationship with the one who had called him for this separation. And this is where he failed. Samson's separation was formal and legalistic. And you know, we Christians get into the same thing a lot of times, don't we? We fall into the same pattern. We think that we're a pretty good Christian because we live up to our don't list. I don't drink, as I said last week. I don't chew. I don't go to dances with girls that do. You know, this type thing. And so we, uh, we think that our don't list is, going, is, is doing fine and, and, uh, or I don't go to dances with guys the other way that do. Uh, you know, we could do it either way. And so um, if we're a girl, we have these don't list. And it's more than don't list. A lot of that is tradition. As we talked about last week, a lot of it was, you know, uh, the blue light f uh, special traditions that uh, were, were good, yeah. But they were not scriptural in the sense of a lot of, playing football on Sunday or doing this or doing that, going fishing, it, it wasn't in, I haven't found it in the Bible yet that we couldn't do that. Maybe if it interfered with worshiping the Lord. Maybe if it became priority over the Lord, yes. But we, we eventually start, it's like the Pharisees, we begin to get these outer perimeters further and further out of don'ts if we're not careful and we miss the truly joy-filled relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ a truly separated Christian is a believer whose heart and life is separated unto God and who lives a life for him you begin to walk with him and you begin to say and you you learn from his word and and you learn uh, how he lived he was holy and and, you know, yes, he was in the world, and he associated with sinners, and he went places where sinners were. But it never got to the point where he compromised his values or his moral, morals or anything, where he compromised anything in his life, and he sinned. And so we need to do, we need to walk with the Lord that way. We need to love the Lord and be a part of the world in the sense of, of going and, and, and as I closed last week, how many friends do we have that are lost? We get in the shell a lot of times and that's all we're around. We're around Christians. And that's fine and, and we should be most of the time. But how many non-Christian friends do we have that we're talking with? that we're sitting down and eating with, that we're sharing with, that we're showing them that we love them and that 
but the reason that we love them is not because of something that we're able to do, but because of someone greater than us who makes it possible for us to do. Who loved them first. How many of us have those friends? How many of the churches that are growing? I know there's some, now don't get me wrong. But they're growing, I, re, I mean really growing, that have 50, 100, I mean huge church of 10,000 has 500 baptisms a year of people who they have led to the Lord. How, many, how much of their growth is from other churches? And people leaving. And I'm not saying that that's all bad. I'm saying at times, there are times for people to leave and go to another church. But, uh, you know, from other churches, pulling because of the activities you have and how big you are and how, how much, how many people out there are we affecting for God's kingdom in this day and time? Separation it's being separated unto the Lord. It's not just apart from. Separation comes, our strength comes from separation. Now, not assimilation and not isolation. Separation, true separation comes, uh, our true, true strength, excuse me, comes from separation. The nation was in a condition of apathy and indifference. All around were Hebrew people who didn't care to join in with Samson to fight. They were assimilated, they were compromised, and they were integrated. It was a separated Samson who had to fight by himself. And how could he fight? It's, it's hard enough to fight to stand up when, when you've got a small group or even a group with you to stand up for what is right. But could you imagine, here was a man who had to stand up by himself. And you cannot fight in the flesh, and you cannot uh, fight in a carnal state, assimilated into the world, and defeat Satan and the enemy, and all he throws at you, if you're living in the flesh. You cannot live a consistent life that is separated by living in the flesh, by assimilating into the world. God does not call us to become like the world. Assimilation is easier. It, it, it's a lot easier to just move on in and be a part of it. But separation comes from being separated from the world, and that can only happen by a special strength that comes from God. And then separation is accompanied by enablement. God did not call Samson to live a separated life by his own strength. He had to be endowed with a special enablement. He equipped him to live the kind of life, and he equips us to live the kind of life. You see, we are not called to live in the world and to be separate from the world or not to be a part of the world by ourselves. 
He doesn't say, okay, Mike, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. Go to it, buddy, and leave me by myself. He empowers us. He enables us to live that kind of life. And that empowerment comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he did with Samson. And then last, the pattern for the Christian separation is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The best answer for separation is found in the Lord's words, as I mentioned earlier, or last week, and it's found in the high priestly prayer. It says in John chapter 17, I do not ask thee, God, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. To be separated from the world is to be related to the world as Jesus Christ was. He wasn't geographically separated from sinners. He mingled with them, as I mentioned earlier. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't come, he said, to minister to the healthy. He came to minister to the sick. He was always separated from the world in his character. And we should be also. He never compromised or sinned or accepted values contrary to God's values, his father's values. He was separated because he was distinct. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the world. Thy word is truth. In other words, God sets us apart in the truth the means for doing that is the word of God and a separated Christian is a Bible centered Christian may I say that Bible centered Christian I mean you're having special time with God when your preacher just goes through the motion just like anybody else Maybe preparing messages, whatever. And I don't really spend time with God. I shouldn't expect God to empower me to live some separated life. I need to be committed to Him. And by being committed to Him, I mean having an ongoing relationship with God. And if I have an ongoing relationship with God, that means that I must time, I must spend time in the Word of God more than just devotional readings. They're good. And I'm, you know, I love to read uh, some of the things that are brought to my attention by my secretary or somebody else about a neat little story that's in a book. That's great. But I'm talking about spending time if we really believe that this is God's word if we really believe that he spoke it to these men to deliver to us if we really really believe it then I think that we need to really be in it because it means that it's alive 
and it's here for a purpose. And we're not going to change. We're not going to be able to live the Christian life by osmosis. God, zap me with that power so that I can be separated and glorify you. We've got to be in the Word, allowing the Word of God to speak to us. You know, it's like in a Bible study, or it's like in a sermon, or it's like in Sunday school. The, needed, the, the smallest little thing that the teacher or what you're reading or the preacher or whomever it might be may say may not be the overall theme of the message. It may be just a sub-point or a small point in that lesson that God, the Spirit, if you're sensitive to Him, will take, speak to your heart and deal with your life in what way that needs to be dealt with at that time. But we've got to be sensitive. We've got to have an ongoing relationship with Him. And when we sin, that relationship, that fellowship is broken and we need to make sure that we're to be separated from the world and not be a part of the world, yet be in it. We need to confess that sin because that little bit of sin that we don't confess, if we're not careful, will multiply and get bigger and bigger and pull us further and further away from God. So we need to be in the world, but not of the world. And we do that the way God did. We need to be distinct. And we can't do it on our own. We do it by God's Spirit within us. His grace about us that He's provided for us. And then we make a difference. Not by our own power. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day, this time, this um, time slot that you've uh, set aside for us as a, a group of people to worship you and Lord it's, it's not easy to be in the world and not of the world it's, I know that it doesn't mean that we, we can't be involved in activities that I'm not talking about ungodly activities but activities that, that goes about in the world you know sporting events uh, fishing uh, uh, activities that that uh, may bring us together in, in uh, uh, different areas of our life. And it doesn't mean that, that we can be involved in that unless it, those things take allegiance that we have to you away from you. Then we need to set priorities. But God, with that, saying that, it, it's, it's so difficult at times to, to know where to stop and to know what to do and what not to do and and Lord even how much to uh, be involved with our our lost friends to the point where we don't compromise anything so I just pray that you'll give us the enlightenment that you'll give us direction and that only comes by us 
uh, spending time with you and, and uh, you know, having that, that continual walk with you so that the Spirit of God can lead us. And us depending upon you as babes in Christ, uh, you know, we come by faith to you uh, for salvation and we should walk that way as, as realizing that we can't do it on our own. We need you. So help us as believers, Lord, to walk that walk and let our talk be our walk and may it be distinct and unique. And that can only happen by you, your grace, and your enablement. Thank you, God, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.